This is Songwriter, a podcast of stories and answer songs. My name is Ben Arthur. Our song today is written and performed by Sasha Dobson, but first we'll hear the story that inspires her song by a woman whose comic instincts are so relentless that she can't even introduce herself with a straight face. I am Patricia Lockwood, author and poet. Often referred to as the Poet Laureate of Twitter, Patricia is a rock star. Her poem, Rape Joke, became a viral sensation, and according to The Guardian, she casually reawakened a generation's interest in poetry. She reads a chapter from her memoir, Priest Daddy. It was about my dad basically getting like a mania for hunting and shooting and guns. So he wanted to get out in the woods and shoot up some deer, (laughs) but it was never going to happen because he's a large, swaggering, legally blind man. Patricia was recorded at a live performance at Joe's Pub in New York City. If there was any fictional character my father hated, it was Bambi. Acting all innocent. Oh yeah, the hunter's always bad, isn't he? He has red eyes and he kills your mommy. Flames began to gulp up the screen. Boo-hoo! The precious forest is on fire, he continued, in the same tone he used when he openly mocked Earth Day. (laughs) Sack up and be a man, Bambi. I'm coming for you. He wanted to feel that if the whole world ended, he could still live in it and inhabit the sphere like his own backyard roasting its megaphone on spits and drinking its lakes when he was thirsty. In reality, if my father were ever called upon to survive on his own in the wilderness, he would very quickly die of treat deficiency or of uh, tripping over a big rock while bellowing, who put that there? Or of trying to use a snake as toilet paper. I doubt he could build a fire unless it's possible to start a fire by yelling at logs. And what about clothes? In the wintertime, when it got too cold to go nude, I pictured him trying to shove his feet through the back legs of a moose to make pants. No, the rugged life was not for him, but he didn't know it. The belief that he was a born outdoorsman could not be stripped from him. Being stripped of his beliefs was the only kind of nakedness my father didn't go for. Then it happened. A friend of his owned some land outside of Cape Girardeau, near the fringe of the St. Francois Mountains. And when my father mentioned that he was interested in taking a hunting trip, he granted us full use of it for the weekend. My dad was overjoyed. I tell you what, the kids are gonna love this, he exclaimed. But after much wheedling, the only children who could be persuaded to accompany him on the hunt were Paul and Christina. Paul was a hunter from birth. He was feral and patriotic like a boy who had been raised by coonskin caps. And my father had high hopes that he would join the military as soon as he was of age. Christina, however, had only ever been to the shooting range once. And when she had expressed a desire to join the Navy, my father sat her down and told her that if she did, she would most likely be assaulted on a large boat when she least expected it. The rest of the family had no interest at all in killing deer, but that didn't deter him. He dragged us all along and booked us into a forest motel that was favored by out-of-town hunters. I had always thought the words hotel and motel were synonyms, 
But as soon as I stepped across the threshold, I understood that a motel was grosser. It looked like the place where Smokey the Bear went to cheat on his wife. My mother hefted our bags inside and almost fainted. She was a good Republican woman, but this was really too much. She nudged open the bathroom door and stared in horror. No doubt she saw a bear pube. But my father looked around him and sighed with contentment. Among his other vocal talents, he was capable of issuing the most expansive sounds of physical satisfaction, like the ghost of Christmas present or Caligula. Nice, he said. Very nice. He was wearing a camouflage hat, as if inconspicuousness were even possible for him. Like a deer would see that hat and think, that is a tree with a lot of religious opinions. <laughs> Though it did give me pleasure to call up an image of my father tiptoeing cartoonishly through the underbrush, autumn leaves crunching under his feet like snacks. My father is a large, swaggering, legally blind man. Autumn leaves had no chance against him. Deer, on the other hand, were almost certainly going to be fine. My sister Mary and I were feisty after a long car ride through the skeletal woods. We felt persecuted worse than the early Christians. Why would you want to kill deer, we argued. A deer is like the last thing that needs to be killed. There are too many of them, my father said forcefully, as if any day now the deer would realize their advantage and stage an uprising, herding all of us into empty prisons and gently licking the salt off us. Too many of them, he repeated. Also, they eat people's gardens. I promise you that my father had never even looked at a garden. Flowers registered to him as very small bitches, far off in the distance. Well, I think it's murder, I reiterated. I don't give a dog's butt what you think, he said. He made no sense, but he didn't have to. He was my father. He turned his back on our effeminate protest and nodded at my youngest brother. In a few years, it'll be time for Daniel to get up there in one of those trees, eh, Daniel? Daniel rolled his inscrutable head toward my father and raised one silky black eyebrow. Like me, he was suffused with a physical laziness that verged on the spiritual. Normal human movement was impossible for him. He tripped, fell, stumbled, and rolled to his destinations. It seemed likely that at some point he would be killed by a baseball. No, he said in the startling baritone he had had even as a baby. Back then, women regularly screamed when my mother brought him into the ladies' room, believing a fully grown businessman had burst through the door and was requesting a diaper change. Jeez, Dan, Paul said, bristling at this display of inertia. His hair was rumpled up all over his head like a dead squirrel. He couldn't wait to get out there and didn't understand why the rest of us were passing up this opportunity. He bounced up and down with that ricocheting energy our houses and streets and suburbs could never quite hold. He looked like what he was, a boy who would eventually grow up to pronounce the name of our country, Murica, 
exclusively date women with patriotic eagle noses and get a huge gun tattooed on his beefy side. Dad lowered the thermostat to 62 degrees, told my mother not to even think about touching it, and set the alarm clock on the bedside table for 5 a.m. Next, he unzipped his bag and took out a bottle of sumptuous gold liquid, holding it up to the light with the same reverence that flowed out of him during the consecration. It was, I regret to inform you, dough urine. It had been harvested from does when they were at the peak of their estrus cycle, and it claimed to drive the big bucks wild. Horniness and death, as usual, went hand in hand. I wasn't sure how you were supposed to use it, but I guess the hunters splashed it over themselves luxuriously like fine cologne and waited for the big wild bucks to trot toward them with unconcealed erections. Finally, he opened our green alligator overnight case and removed a bar of special soap that hunters used to strip themselves of all human odor. He had forced Paul and Christina to shower with it for weeks before the trip so the deer wouldn't be able to catch a whiff of their original sin. Successful hunting, according to my father, had everything to do with the deer not smelling you. Apparently the deer's nose is an omnipotent organ, like God's eye. He wanted the rest of us to shower with it too, so we wouldn't rub off on him, but we refused. The deer are going to smell my candy ass, and they're going to love it, I said, rubbing a raspberry lotion all over my calves that smelled like the pure essence of womanhood to me at that time. I was going through a rebellious period, which meant that sometimes I said the ass word kind of loudly, and sometimes I didn't feel religious at all. I took a defiant note in my notebook about trees rising antlered between the ears of the land and closed it with a satisfied bang. Nothing escaped my artist's sigh. <laughs> my father ignored me. I can't wait to get my mouth on that Bambi meat, he said, which sounded more suggestive than perhaps he had intended. In fact, in the past two weeks, he had lapsed into a vocabulary that was almost wholly suggestive, invoking phrases about sniffing the tang of the woods and turning boys into men at every opportunity. All right, idiots, lights out, he commanded, as soon as he was finished with his ritual tasks. It was only eight o'clock, but they needed lots of rest. My mother was so disgusted with the motel that she stomped outside to sleep in the van, wrapping a towel around her shoulders and yelling, Nasty! as she went. The rest of us girls squeezed ourselves into the single double bed, underneath the bedspread whose camouflage was so effective that we couldn't see any of the body juices it must have been stained with. The men settled into their cots, shifting and restless, and we drifted off to the soothing sounds of my dad and brother, discussing what protocol they should follow if one of them accidentally shot the other. A black gap of sleep, where I seemed to be sitting cold and motionless in the burly crotch of a tree. And then hours later, we heard the door creak open again. The party had returned from the hunt. I opened my eyes, expecting to see them with expertly disemboweled carcasses slung over their shoulders. But no. Christina stumbled jerkily inside and then fell to the floor with a paralyzed thud, unable to walk. My father had strapped her with a belt to a tree trunk, handed her an SKS and told her not to move, and then left her there for three hours. 
By the time he came back, she couldn't feel her legs and had, as she described it, accidentally hypnotized herself by scanning back and forth for deer the entire time he was gone. I never saw a single one, she mumbled from somewhere down on the carpet. Nobody ever saw any deer. My father stepped forward to elaborate, his arm around Paul's shoulder. He cleared his throat, embarrassed, and then explained that not only had they not killed any deer, but my brother had crapped himself in a tree stand because he got too excited. <laughs> Poor little dude, my dad said, shaking his head sympathetically. He got so worked up he crapped himself. He said it like that was just something people did. Uh, just one way young men reacted to the overwhelming stimulus of their first hunting trip. My brother nodded, as if to confirm both the crap and the excitement. There are two kinds of people in the world. People who care if they crap themselves, and people who don't. My brother manifestly did not. Probably the crap was keeping him warm. If I were writing this chapter about one of my other brothers or sisters, I would have to call it Mary's Secret Shame, or Everyone is Disappointed in Daniel, or Christina Couldn't Wait. <laughs> Disgrace didn't stick to Paul, though. He just stood there with a look of self-gratulation on his face, as if he had just graduated from a very private college. His affectionate nickname, PJ, now stood for something else. Poop gentlemen. That's probably my favorite joke in the entire book. <laughs> but when you read it out loud, it's just not as funny because you can't see that J that starts out gentlemen that to me is like one of the funniest things that's ever been written. Ladies and gentlemen, Patricia Lockwood. It's no easy thing to turn a story into a song, and on a deadline too, but I knew Sasha Dobson would be up for the task. A multi-instrumentalist and a solo artist in her own right, Sasha is also a member of the band Puss in Boots with Nora Jones. I asked Sasha about her first impressions of Patricia's writing. What first struck me about the chapter and the themes was um, her dad, and I guess my dad. My relationship to my father was very meaningful, and a lot of my music is in, informed by that relationship um, and that loss. The hook at the very end of the song, I'll walk alone, my dear. I know what I meant when I wrote that, which was probably also a bit about my own loss and just walking on in life with or without your parent. Um, for me, my father is always with me in my heart and in, in my thoughts. I had written this song, finished it maybe a couple of days before the show, and um, <clears throat> pretty much the first time I performed it <laughs> uh, was that night, and it was great. It was really meaningful, and um, I felt really lucky to get the opportunity to do that. And now, performing a song written in response to Patricia Lockwood's Priest Daddy, here's Sasha Dobson playing Cross on My Heart. You were always there beside me Nowhere close 
That was Sasha Dobson with her song, Cross on My Heart. Special thanks to Audible, who published Priest Daddy in audio form for their kind permission. The next episode will feature flash fiction from Anna North and a song written in response by rapper Miss Eves. Unbelievably, that will be the last official episode of the first season of Songwriter. If you've been enjoying the show, please consider rating, subscribing, and maybe even sharing with a friend who you think might enjoy it. Also, for those of you in New York City, on November 8th, there'll be a live songwriter show featuring Ethan Lipton and songwriter Sarah Jaffe. You can find me online for more information.